Now, if you uh, want to take your uh, chart with me, I want to open really with an illustration before we look at the word. And you should have a handout or should be able to see one uh, nearby. Everybody see it, have an eye on a chart nearby. Okay. There, there are a few in the back that are extras if you need one. Uh, you'll note here that uh, there are two axes and uh, the vertical one, the Y axis here, uh, is a placement axis or a popularity. Uh, the most popular being in the uh, upper left corner signified by number one at the top. And you see it goes on down to 141 and beyond. And then on the X axis, you'll notice that it begins in the upper left in the year 1890, 1890, and it goes to, it was cut off there, but 1950 is the edge of the chart. So you see here that there is a graph uh, moving from left to right of a, a specific statistic. Now, what is this statistic? Well, this statistic uh, was taken of a baby name. Name of ba- a baby, a particular baby, and how popular was that baby's name in that given year? So if you look on the chart, you'll see here that in uh, 1890 at the beginning, it was fairly popular here. It was in the top 20 and it uh, kind of moves a bit sideways in the next decade, has a dip there, but kind of moving sideways. And then it begins to trend downward slightly uh, as you move from the early 20th century into the uh, 1930s. And then you'll see that by 19 1932, 1933, there's a spike in the popularity of that baby name. Then it goes down a little bit again. Then it seems to spike a second time. And then there's a precipitous drop off, isn't there? From about 1941 to 1950. Anybody want to guess this baby's name? Adolf is correct. This is the popularity of the name Adolf. In Germany, I had to black it out because you would have known it was it was German uh, by the uh, top portion there. But yes, this is the name uh, Adolf and its popularity in in the country of Germany should emphasize that. And and I think if you were to continue uh, the decades that followed, uh, the trend uh, continued. Well, that leads us to our text tonight. In verse one of chapter 22, a good name is to be more desired than great wealth for favor is better than silver and gold. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Well, boys and girls, some of you may be very young and you don't understand that chart at all. But basically that chart was showing how the name Adolf from 1890 to 1950 became quite unpopular by the end of 1950, at the end of that chart. And the reason for that was, of course, of the historic figure of the infamous Adolf Hitler, who was a dictator in Germany and was uh, guilty of many atrocious war crimes. Um, That, I think, shows here Something of what Proverbs is teaching here, that a good name is to be greatly esteemed and valued and it is guarded. 
Your name is who you are. Have you ever thought about that? You cannot really separate yourself from your name. Your name is who you are. You know, it's very similar reason why, boys and girls, the third commandment, for example, is you shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. Because to take the name of God is to invoke his presence. And there is an association between God himself and the name he has revealed. The Lord said, I am who I am to Moses. He revealed his covenant name to Moses. Probably all of you have experienced you've been out in public and you're just wandering around. Maybe you're shopping. Maybe you're going to a ball game or something and you're in the midst of crowd. And suddenly you're not listening to anything in particular, but you're certain you just heard your name. Because your name triggers within you something very special that others don't. Somebody can shout other names and you're wondering, who is that? Or you may not even hear it at all. But suddenly when it's your name, uh, you are brought to an attention. Some of you have experienced being called by your full name at times by your parents when you're in trouble. And they want your full attention here. You cannot think about yourself apart from your own name. Your name is your identity. Our name as Christians, we have to realize, has been united to the Trinity. Think about the importance of baptism. When we are baptized, our name is what? United to the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Something special is going on at baptism. The reason baptism is so significant is because it's the sign and the seal of God's covenant with his people. And it's at that moment of baptism that that person is publicly identified with the triune name of God. And that that person set aside now, not as a a Gentile, as a pagan, as an unbeliever, but as somebody as a visible member of the covenant of God. And we trust that in the baptism of infants that by the grace of God, the Lord will make that a reality in their life through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as they grow older and mature. Romans chapter six is very instructive, and I hope sometime you'll look at Romans six on your own, because in Romans chapter six, Paul makes this point. Shall we continue in sin now that we are in union with Christ? And of course, he says, may it never be. We have been united to the name of Christ. We have been united to not only his name, but because we're united to the name of Jesus, you're united to the works of Jesus Christ. You are united to the death of Jesus Christ. You're united to the life of Christ. You're united to the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ. Everything that Jesus did is signified in his name. And you are brought now into union with that name. And therefore, sin can no longer reign over us. Our name is united to the central work of Christ. You are buried in baptism. When when you are named by the minister... And he baptizes you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Spirit. You you are united to the central work of Christ. You are buried in Christ. You are raised to newness of life in him. And therefore, you cannot continue in sin. You have died to sin. Paul makes it that strong. You have died to sin. That doesn't mean we become sinless. But it means that sin no longer has mastery over the Christian. Sin no longer can 
reign in us any longer because of our union with Christ. And what this means here is, therefore, as people who are united to to the Lord, to the triune name of God, we must be careful with our name. Because our name is in union with the name that is above every name. The name at which no person can be saved, but at the name of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are not to give unbelievers a reason to blaspheme the name of Christ by our own personal bad conduct. We are to live out an evangelical faith and evangelical obedience to the moral will of God as being united to the name of the Lord. And so when we see sin rising up within our thoughts, we we need to ask God to forgive us and say, Lord, forgive me of those thoughts. I should not have had those hard thoughts. I should not have had those lustful thoughts, Lord. And I repent of them and I hate them and I renounce them and I turn away from them and I pray that you would forgive me of them because of your name. Lord, cleanse me, help me. And the Bible says that if we will confess our sins, that the Lord is faithful and righteous to forgive us. Now, there are many applications for us as members of the visible church. We need to be above reproach, for example, in our dealings with one another. Because our name is united to the name of Jesus Christ. We need to give even the appearance of righteousness to others who may be watching and people are watching. We need to be above reproach even in secret when no one is watching. There should be no secret scandals. No unclean things in our home. And so we should seek to live in the presence of God in Coram Deo and before the face of God even when we are alone. We need to be, for example, trustworthy. We need to keep our word. We need, we need to individually seek a good name in the community so that the corporate name of our church is not sullied. All of these things and more. And we see this from history, don't we, in the Bible. David had a good name, but he brought shame to himself in killing Uriah and, and committing adultery with Bathsheba. And trouble never left the house of David because of that terrible Reproach it would have been better if David had turned away from temptation. The moment he saw Bathsheba bathing, he should have turned away and asked for God's grace to stay away. Demas had a good name. You know, it, I was telling somebody just this week, I said, you know, one of the most in many ways troubling verses in the New Testament probably is at the end of Colossians when it says that Demas also sends his greetings, that Demas is listed among those who are sending greetings back. And later, when you get to the pastoral epistles, you realize Demas has left from the time that Colossians was written to the time that you get to first and second Timothy. Demas has already turned away to the world. He gave up his name for the sake of the world. Moses, his name was hurt by killing an Egyptian and it took 40 years of rehabilitation in the wilderness for Moses to regain that. And as we see um, how the name of Adolf is dropped off precipitously, it's the same reason nobody in the church names their child Judas because of its association with the traitor Judas. Yes, there are other Judases in the Bible. That's true. But still, it's not a name that 
we tend to want to employ because that's not the most famous Judas. And because we don't want that infamy attached to one of our own children, that name has fallen away. Well, I want to talk, having said that, about the name of the Lord. Because the Bible says that our names, of course, are never perfect. Our names are not without sin. All names have fallen short of the glory of God in this life. And there's none righteous and no, not one. All have sinned. And so it is important, therefore, that we look beyond our own name to the name in which we have been baptized, the name of our triune God. It is the Lord. And we sang that this evening. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name. And the reason for that is because that is the name by which we are saved. We are not saved by our good name. We are saved by the good name of the Lord and particularly the good name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to talk a little bit about the excellency of the Lord's name. Why is the Lord's name so great? Why is the Lord's name better to be desired than great wealth? Well, there are many reasons. First of all, the Lord's name is great and excellent because of who he is in his being or his substance, as well as his attributes. The Lord is excellent in his being. God, as Song of Solomon says, is altogether lovely. And I encourage you to read Song of Solomon sometime with an eye towards Jesus Christ. Remember that the scriptures, John 5, Jesus says that the scriptures, they speak of me. And so while Song of Solomon is a picture and a poem of earthly love between married lovers, it is also a picture of Christ and his church. And we need to remember that, that the loveliness of the bridegroom is the loveliness of Christ himself, that Christ is the most excellent person in the world, boys and girls. And he is excellent above everything and anyone. There is no one like the person of Jesus Christ. And that is why we set Jesus before you Sunday after Sunday. We want you to see Jesus. We want you to see his divinity. We want you to see his loveliness and his humanity, the excellency of his being and his character. But the Lord's name is excellent because he himself is excellent in his attributes as well as his being. You could look at any of his attributes and see that they are perfect. His infinity, his infinity in his presence, that is, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere equally. You know, a lot of times we are mistaken when we think of God spatially and we think, well, a little bit of God is here and a little bit of God is in China and a little bit of God is in Mars and a little bit of God is at the edge of the universe. No, God is everywhere present, everywhere fully. He, he is everywhere in all places equally. God is not spread out spatially, but everywhere he is equally present. He is excellent in, in his omnipresence. We, we, the book of Acts says we, that in him we live, we move, and we have our being in God. There is no place we can go, says the psalmist, where you cannot find God. You go to the highest mountain and behold, the Lord is there. You go to the depths of Sheol and God is there. God is there in hell even. You say, how can that be? Well, God is there in judgment, in wrath, rightly, justly condemning sin. 
You know, the, the hell is not the absence of God, said Jonathan Edwards. Hell is the presence of God in his wrath. There is nowhere to hide from God. The, the, the unbeliever will try to do that. He will call to the mountains in, in the second coming and he will ask the mountains to fall on him and the hills to cover him. But he will not escape the wrath of the Lamb of God. God is excellent. His name is excellent in his omniscience. God knows everything about everything. God's knowledge is not just quantitatively above our knowledge. God does not just know more than we know. His knowledge is qualitatively excellent. His thoughts are above our thoughts. His thoughts are vast and is excellent. Everything God knows, he knows as it relates to everything else. You and I do not know that. We know two plus two equals four. God knows two plus two equals four, but God knows it qualitatively different. Differently than you do. Because God knows how that simple little equation relates to every other aspect of knowledge. And you and I don't. We are finite. We can only know so much about two plus two equals four. God is excellent. His name is excellent uh, in his attributes because of his eternity. He has no beginning. He has no end. God's decrees are eternal. His plan of redemption is eternal. His covenant of redemption that we spoke of this morning, the covenant that God makes between the father and the son in the spirit to redeem the elect is an eternal covenant made before the creation that they agreed as the triune God that sinners would be saved. Paul says that no human mind could devise this mystery. Oh, the depths and the riches of the grace of God, Paul says at the end of Romans 11. Who can fathom this? Angels long to look into this mystery and they just see no bottom to it. The excellency of God's immutability, that is, God never changes. He is constant. He does not waver. He's steadfast in his promises. He is not like men, the Bible says. You can count on God. God is excellent because of his self-existence or what theologically we call the aseity of God. A-S-E-I-T-Y. For those of you taking notes, A-S-E-I-T-Y. Aseity, meaning self-existence. God needs nothing out of his own being. To sustain himself. And then we could go on to his other attributes, his his communicable attributes. I was listing there his incommunicable attributes. We could talk about his holiness. God is thrice holy. Isaiah six. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. He is infinitely holy. The seraphim cry and worship God in his holiness. He is infinite in his love. His love, the Bible says, has no height, width, depth or breadth. His mercy is new every morning, we are told, is wisdom. He is infinitely wise. We are told by the Bible that the foolishness of God, the foolishness of the cross, is greater than the wisdom of the Greeks. Plato and Aristotle could never have dreamt up the cross. Foolishness of God crucifying his only son to redeem a lost and fallen humanity is wisdom beyond that men could do with general revelation on their own. And the name of God is excellent for what God has done, not just who he is and his attributes, but God is excellent in his creation. He created all things of nothing in the space of six days and all very good. And we see the genius and the excellency of God in in his works. I, I was looking at some animals just the other day on the Internet. and I thought, what kind of mind makes up 
an animal like this. And, you know, it was like kangaroos or uh, I think it was or something similar. And I thought, that, that's what a strange creature. What, what kind of mind is able to come up? You know, Star Wars has nothing on God. When, when you think of the giraffe and the elephant, you know, Star Wars is just a mimic. It's an imitation. It's a copy. It's, it's, and, and, and it's good. It's man's attempt, though, to do what? To imitate the Father. The diversity that we see in, in the creation by the Father as he creates animals like the sloth and the ant. Uh, we try to imitate in our movies. But you think about, you have uh, beings that have no bodies, angels, seraphim, cherubim. You have microscopic creatures, mites and chiggers and ants and beetles, crickets, spiders, flying insects, flies, bees, fireflies, dragonflies, gnats, birds of a thousand types, fish, sar- sharks, whales, dinosaurs, etc., Stars by the billions made by God. And yet, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 8, what is man that you should think of him? All this glory made by God, yet God is mindful of man. We think of the excellency of God in his providence. God decrees everything that comes to pass And it is all according to his excellent plan of redemption. Everything is being done for the salvation of his people, for the good of his people, and for the vindication of his righteous judgment against the wicked. We see it in redemption that the Lord Jesus Christ has come into the world as a part of God's plan. He is crushed ahead of the serpent on the cross. And for a period of 4,000 years, God maintained a people for himself through Noah. Uh, through the types of Christ, he, he redeemed his people from Egypt. Even despite the apostasies of God's people, the Lord persevered with them and he established the throne of David. And from David would come the son of David, the king who would redeem us. And then even after David, when the kings of David went into apostasy, God for a time expelled them from his land, but brought them back. And in the fullness of time, he sent Jesus Christ. And after the finished work of Jesus Christ, he sent the third person of the Trinity. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. You consider the intricate plan of salvation and the excellency of it all. And and God's name is excellent because of what he's going to do. In the future, God is going to bring in the fullness of the Gentiles from every tribe, tongue and nation. He is going to bring in the Jews and there will be a conversion of the Jews and Jew and Gentile will be saved. All Israel will be saved. None of God's elect will be missing before the great white throne. Jesus Christ will come again and we will see his glorious return. We will we will see Jesus not in his humiliation as we did the first time, but in his exaltation. He will come in triumph. He won't come as a sharecropper, son of a sharecropper from Alabama once said to me, when Jesus come back, he ain't going to be riding no donkey this time. And he's right. We're told he will be riding a great white steed and that the word of God, which is a two-edged sword, shall be on his thigh. He will come in triumph. He will meet his people in the air. He will be accompanied by billions of 
of, of elect and billions of holy angels. Every eye shall see the glorified Jesus Christ. We will be we will be astonished at his glory and his excellency. We will look on him whom they have pierced and they will mourn, but we will rejoice. He will make his name excellent in raising all the dead, both of the righteous and the unrighteous together. They will be raised for the final judgment. And those who are righteous in Jesus Christ will be on the right hand of Jesus. And those who are unrighteous will be on the left. And the reprobate will be given a body for fit for eternal punishment in hell. While the righteous shall be given a spiritual real body fit for service to God forever. And God will show his excellency in the final judgment when the redeemed are vindicated by the works of Christ and the reprobate are driven from the throne of grace into the place of punishment. We will see the excellency of Jesus Christ as he divides all humanity between the elect and the reprobate. Not one wicked person will be able to sneak in onto the other side of the aisle. They will be found out and as the king found out the wedding guest who was not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, he will say, how did you get in here, sir? And they will be speechless and they will be cast out. Even some who will say, Lord, Lord, he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You practitioners of wickedness, people who were practicing wickedness. While preaching the name of Christ, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. God will recreate the new heavens and the new earth. He will destroy the old earth. It may be a destructive fire. It may be a creative fire. We don't know. But God will bring forth from that fire a new heavens and new earth. It will supersede the Garden of Eden. It's not just paradise restored. That really is not true. It's better than paradise. Because it is based on the work of the second Adam, which is superior to the first Adam. It, it is beyond Paradise restored. It is paradise superseded. Heaven and earth shall be one. God will bring forth the new Jerusalem, the gates of which will never be shut. The wicked shall be utterly removed. There will be no need to close the gates anymore. All of this will show the excellency of God. I want to say this by way of closing before we come to the Lord's table. A good name is to be desired more than great wealth. That means God is to be desired above all, friends. There is no name that is greater than God's. And if a good name is to be desired, more desired than great wealth, and there is no better name than the name of our triune God, then go to him through faith in Jesus Christ. If you are unconverted tonight, let me introduce you to Christ. And not just introduce you, but urge you to take him. He is excellent. He is lovely. He is beautiful. He is holy. He is gracious. And he loves sinners. And he says, welcome sinner to all who will repent and receive me. I will come in and sup with him. To all who will take me. I will go. Like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down, you sinner, for we have to have lunch together. This is Jesus Christ. He is, he is honorable. He is 
good. He is patient. He is kind. He is gracious to sinners. He is humble of heart. He is not a hard man. But it is only the stubbornness of man that refuses to take such a good savior. It shows how stiff-necked we are that this Jesus can be preached again and again and again and you resist Jesus. You need the Spirit of God to come into your life. You need to pray in your room beside your bed. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you need to ask the Lord, Lord, give me a spirit that wants Jesus Christ truly and sincerely. Because, Lord, I have heard of his loveliness and yet out of the wickedness of my own heart, I cannot embrace your loveliness on my own. That which we saw this morning is impossible with men, is possible with God. Man cannot do it himself, but by the grace of God, you can do it. And you are commanded to do it. I've given this illustration before. Jesus says to a man with a withered arm, stretch forth thy arm. I can't. You can't on your own, but by the grace of God, believing you can. And so God says to sinners, stretch forth your arm, stretch forth your heart to me. Open wide, Paul says to the Corinthians, your mouth. Do not be like that stubborn child in his high chair who says, "Mm -mm," and turns his head and will not take the spoon in his mouth. Paul says, no, open wide. And receive Jesus Christ. Receive him by faith. That's what we're going to do here in just a moment when we come to the Lord's table. We're going to receive Christ by faith. When we eat the bread and we drink the wine, we're going to be receiving Christ. Not in a corporal and carnal manner as the Roman Catholics teach. But we are spiritually going to feed on Christ by faith. We are going to look to him. And just as we look to him in the preaching of the word, we will look to Jesus In the giving of the Lord's Supper and our faith will be fed. And we will come to this table and we will say, Lord, there is no better name. Than the name of Jesus set forth at this table. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. A good name is better to be desired than great wealth. Listen, young people. The name of Jesus is more to be desired in your life than being wealthy and rich and famous and well-liked on Instagram. Being, knowing, loving Christ, having Christ in your life, better than a million likes. Better than everything else in the world. And so I want you, especially young people, I want you to appreciate the majesty of the name of Christ, the majesty of God's name revealed to us. You know, there are people who never hear the name of Jesus in this world. How shall they hear except a missionary be sent? That's why we have to send missionaries. And yet in the providence of God, we need to be sobered by the fact that there will be some who will not hear the name of Jesus Christ. And you have every opportunity to unite Christ's name to your name. You've already done it if you've been baptized in Christ, but you can make good on that baptism. You have to make good on that baptism by faith. 
We must exercise faith. Apart from faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. And so I want you to receive Jesus Christ. I want you to see him in his holiness, in his beauty, in his excellency. I want you to see him in his majesty, in his glory. I want you to see him in his humiliation. I want you to see him in his exaltation. I want you to see him on the cross. I want you to see him in the incarnation and in his birth. I want you to see him as a child left behind at the temple saying, I had to be in my father's house. I want you to see him in his compassion for the poor, laying on hands of the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel. He's above everyone else. There's nobody like him. He's not just a prophet as the Muslims teach. He is the prophet. He is also the priest and the king of whom the prophet spoke. We shall see him in his glory one day. But you can have him. You don't have to wait to have him when you see him. You can have him now by faith. Have you taken Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior yet? Have you come to a point in your life where you've ready yourself? You've committed yourself? You're, have you come to a point where you said, I, I want Jesus more than anything in this world. I want Christ. I want to be not just forgiven of my sins, not just a place in heaven, but I want Christ. Everybody wants heaven. Not everybody wants Christ. Christ is what makes heaven heaven. Without Christ in heaven, there is no heaven. Let's pray together.